from your local Houston BMW Center studios. Welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm Larry Jones. And I am KG Smooth. And KG, we're bouncing right fresh off of Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday, primary elections. I believe it was uh, 17 states, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, and uh, we voted for the Democratic nominee. Now, I honestly think that um, with the results being Joe and Bernie mm-hmm. so close, and they've got to get to that magic number of 1377, I believe it is. Um, this is going to go all the way to the convention. Oh, yeah. And yeah. The, the Democrats have some issues that they've got to figure out within the party. Uh, you've got the, 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 the progressives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Joe's crew, the moderates. And, mm-hmm. you know, you've got some you got the radicals. radicals. So <laughs> it should be fun to watch. And that's why we've invited our guest up this morning. Yes. Um, she is the chief deputy office of Diane Troutman, Harris County Clerk. Ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. Tanisha E. Hudspeg Babaloa is on the Public Affairs Podcast. How are you? I'm well. Good morning. I was just saying I'm running off a bit of fumes. Yeah. Um, That kind of comes with the territory when you live in such a large state, large county, and we have a lot of voters to vote. So I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. We had a lot of voters to turn out uh, record numbers. And so I think that's always good when you see – voters exercising their right to vote. Tanisha, it's Larry. Welcome to the show. Uh, when I went in yesterday, I was immediately approached with, of course, turn your phone off, and if you want to go to the right, here's the Republican line, and to the left, here's the Democratic line. I'm like, is that possible? And then the the, oh, the, yeah. the people instructed me that this, was, this is what happens in the primary. Now, the general, That's you correct. can go in and do whatever your heart or your mind wants you to do. So apparently I have not been voting in a lot of primaries. Is that is that correct? I mean, is that normal? That is normal. It is very much so normal. And you tend to see um, some voters not participate in the primaries um, because they're used to general elections. But that is normal. Uh, primary elections, you do have to decide which party you want to vote in. Now, Texas is the open primary state. So that means every primary election, voters can choose either or party. They don't have to register by party like some states do. So um, if you choose to vote in the Democratic primary, if there's a runoff, which there will be, then you have to vote in the Democratic runoff and vice versa. If you choose to vote in the Republican primary, you vote in the Republican runoff. And those candidates basically um, are decided for who goes on to the big drum roll, which is the big November general election. Excellent. And the front runners basically go to the general election where voters can vote across party lines. So um, as Larry was explaining his experience with uh, voting in a primary and them, them asking him, you know, which party, um, do they ask that every time during the primaries? Because I was, when they asked me that, I was like, oh, I said, um, someone must be contesting Trump on the Republican side, because why would you ask if, you know, he? I mean, he's the incumbent. And so I was like, oh, well, maybe somebody is running against him. Did, does it work like that? Is that what am I correct? Right. With they have that? to vote the, the election clerk because you have to choose which primary you're in. The first thing that the election clerk 
will ask you is which primary are you voting in, the Democratic or Republican? It's not necessarily to interrogate the voter, but that's the way that the election clerks find out which primary you choose to vote in. Otherwise, we can't assume which primary voters want to vote in. We have to ask them so that they go to the appropriate voting machines to get the appropriate ballot. Okay. And now now let's say um, I'm, an, I'm an independent. I am a registered independent. Um, mm-hmm. So let's say that I chose Republican. Mm-hmm. Would that ballot look the same as the Democratic ballot? Um, no, it won't, because the Republican Party will have different candidates, names, and races. So not all of the Democratic races have candidates on their ballot, not uh, and, and not all the Republicans. So it's truly different names and only Republican candidates on the Republican primary and Democratic names on the Democratic primary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the mix-up is that traditionally – uh, more voters who tend to be independent like you um, have a hard time choosing uh, which primary. And so they just wait to see who the front runners are for the November ballot. And then they choose to cast their ballot um, for independence. I could see how that's kind of um, hard to make a decision in a primary. And truthfully, um, although we had record numbers yesterday, a lot of voters choose to abstain from primaries uh, because it's a harder decision to make. Well, I mean, if you ask me, I think primary is really the only one where we really, really, really get to vote for who we want to be, you know, um, in that process. Because once the general comes, you got the electoral college and that's not us. I love the process, Tanisha. And I I, again, I appreciate your time because I know you had a late night, early morning. There were a number of voter turnout yesterday and we we got a little feedback here at the station yesterday. One listener wanted to know. Since you had to choose between Republican and Democrat, and there was no one standing in the Republican line, she wanted to know if you could take the machines from the Republican line and put it in the Democratic line so everybody (laughs) would have a chance to vote. I tried to explain to her, I said, no, that's not the way it works because it's a whole different list of of people. But can you speak on um, the amount of interest this primary brought to Harris County? Sure, absolutely. So you're right. You you gave the right assessment. You can't go and take the pre-programmed machines and ballots from one party side and just include it over to the other to uh, process more voters. Um, but but you bring up a really good point. Um, we have noticed that the due to the national platform, mm-hmm. the numbers were unforeseen on election day. Um, our office put every piece of equipment out at every location. Um, but in terms of the national platform, I think voters were really waiting uh, to see what would happen and cast their ballot on Election Day. Now, we had 11 days of early voting prior to that, and there was extended hours, 7 to 7 all days except Sunday. And um, for some reason, we've seen, we've seen an uptick on Election Day, and we do really believe that it was the national platform that drove more voters to wait till election day. There were some of our locations that voted more people on election day than during the whole 11 days of early voting. And and you know why I think that that was? Because a lot of people like myself did not know who they were Never going to vote for until they were in that line. Yeah. 
Because they were undecided. (laughs) Yeah, I myself, I've been ever since the process began. I mean, ever since Kamala Harris had announced that she was running back in February of last year. And when they all came down, I was waiting on my internal compass to point Mm -hmm. me who is going to beat this demagogue. And nothing happened and even when when bloomberg came in i was like okay then i did some some my own research on him and i was like okay but even still i was still like bernie like you know so the whole process is uh i think a lot of people didn't know and that's why the the turnout was so great so tanisha let me ask a, a, a lot of questions around the machinery the process uh, any any malfunctions yesterday? Did you guys have any problems other than the amount of people that came out? So, um, so like every election, you're going to have different niches and quirks. Um, most of it maybe had to be with first-time judges um, and training, um, but there were small things. I think for the most part is understanding how the primaries work. So essentially, you have two elections running simultaneously at the same time. Uh, Like we said before, like a November general election, all the candidates are on one ballot, but for a primary election, the actual political parties run that election. They make all the decisions for the locations, um, and in this case, we're on a countywide polling place program, so um, the locations are decided, everything regarding the primary election, which uh, the Democratic Party runs, and everything about the Republican primary, the Republican primary runs. And so that's why when voters walked into a polling location, they saw two different stations uh, to vote. So simultaneously, we had two elections going on at the same time. Um, And what we saw yesterday is that it was a drastic um, increase in voters on the Democratic side, on the Democratic side is why you saw lines or you saw more lines uh, typically than you do in an early voting period and less on the Republican side for some locations. So the inner city locations tend to have more lines in terms of the Democratic side. Tanisha, um, does your office, I don't mean to cut you off, but does your office expect a primary uh, runoff election? Oh, absolutely. There are several races. I've got to look back at the numbers, but there are several races on both uh, parties' ballots, and that runoff election will take place. May 26th. Now, most of those runoffs are for more local positions and local um, elections, meaning, you know, maybe commissioner, um, some -hmm. state reps, Mm -hmm. some of the local races is what you're going to see. Of course, the national platform, that will go on with primaries in many other states. So the local races will definitely have some runoffs for both parties. And what is your office doing, Tanisha, to uh, help educate and prepare voters for uh, November 2020? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, So last year when Dr. Troutman took office as county clerk, um, we worked, well, we received a grant from uh, the endowment to start a campaign and to work on a campaign for voter education called Vote Your Way. And so Vote Your Way was a part of the initiative to get voters to vote at any location in the county like they do doing early voting on election day. And so that campaign has done very, very well. 
um, within the first year, voters knew that they no longer could only go to the precinct in which they were registered, mm. um, but they could go anywhere in the county to vote. And as you know, in past elections, there would be a deficit of people that would be turned away from the polling location because they, quote unquote, were at the wrong location. Mm-hmm. And so the great thing about this Vote Your Way campaign and countywide is there's no such thing as a voter being turned away because they're at the wrong location. And so that just really took what is coming for November to another level, because as you know, in the November general election, voters will no longer be able to vote a straight party ticket. Yeah. And I, I want to bring KG back on this because my other experience yesterday was I went to the voting facility where I would always go for the general election and it was mm-hmm. not open. So I pulled out my sure. voter registration card. I scanned the little thing majaga mm-hmm. and it gave me a list as, as Tanisha just said of every facility I could visit in my area to, to vote yesterday. I thought that was really cool. Absolutely. And so um, I know a lot of voters have concerns about some locations being combined. One thing that we've done also to help uh, alleviate confusion is keep the early voting locations open on Election Day. Um, Because so many voters are used to going to those locations, we keep those additional locations open on uh, on Election Day. So just kind of push and vote your way a little bit more further to educate voters. We're going to go back to the endowment and other other organizations that would be willing to uh, bring dollars to the table to, you know, take this campaign to the next level. And um, and I think the sky's the limit. Maybe we can get Metro to wrap trains or, you know, do so many other different things with partners um, like you all and, and so many others just to educate. This is what's happening. This is how voters can be prepared, not on a necessary platform, not on a necessary campaign. But this is what you can do to prepare for the big showdown in November. With um, voter suppression and voter fraud still running rampant, uh, what is it that people should look out for? These little things that can prevent them from being able to cast their ballot. What little things should voters look out for? Oh, man, I will tell you for sure the misinformation campaigns and social media. Voters should definitely check their sources. Um, Our website is harrisvotes.com for all voters in Harris County. Um, But because we have this World Wide Web, um, there is information and things being pushed out all the time um, regarding, you know, elections and what's happening. And so the number one ticket here is for voters to make sure they have the right resources. My understanding is with Radio 1, Uh, you connect voters directly to our county page to get actual information. And so source checking is the biggest deal for voters this year. And once they get to the website, we have um, all the information on the different ways you can vote, the deadlines, the upcoming elections. Um, I think it's going to take community partners as well. A lot of those partners that are um, nonpartisan, but they do great things to educate the community on what is to come for this election year. I think tying election information and what's to come with the census, because the census is such a big topic this year. Oh, man. Um, that while they get counted, also get educated <laughs> on the next election. Indeed. Tanisha, can I ask you about the demographics? Do we have more younger people show up yesterday than before? I and believe I, that we do. I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I say young. 
from the age that you can vote to maybe 35, 40 years old, who traditionally, in my understanding, don't always turn out. Was that the case yesterday? Um, I think what we'll learn is once we're able to kind of sit down and crunch the numbers, look at demographics and ethnicity backgrounds, we'll be able to see that where the uptick in, um, and that maybe 18 to 30 or so demographic that has low turnout, um, one of the things Dr. Trotman did as well was to increase polling locations. And so last year, we uh, were able to partner with University of Houston and Texas Southern University to make those uh, college campuses uh, voting locations. And so what we saw is when you put those locations where the students are, where the faculty and staff are, you you seem to get more of an interest and uptick in voting. And so I think once we're able to really look at the numbers, we'll be able to see, and from what I could see on social media, you had a lot more students empowered because the locations were provided to them right there on campus. Genius. Mm-hmm. It makes a absolutely I mean, genius. It makes all of the difference yeah, in the makes world. Sense. I mean, sense. If, if it's uh, accessible, yeah, then go. we can make it That's happen. That's the word, accessible. You know, um, right. Tuesday, on, and I know that this, go ahead, Tanisha, go ahead. No, I was just going to say TSU and U of H were not the only college campuses. Um, we also had HCC West Loop, a couple of HCC campuses, um, some Lone Star campuses, San Jacinto, um, that served as Election Day locations and early voting locations. So we think that's basically the way to go to empower, um, you know, the, the low voter turnout uh, age group. Yeah, I think if we continue um, with this trend, like using the college campus as a uh, polling location for students to go vote, that the numbers will continue to um, uptick. I was going to say, you know, election days are on a Tuesday, Mm -hmm. you know, all day. People are working and it's kind of hard to do your due diligence when you've got other things in life that are kind of get in the way. Um, But if you hold it, Let's say, for instance, like on a Saturday, like in South Car- the South Carolina primaries were on a Saturday. The mm-hmm. turnout for them, especially among oh. black folks, were huge. And so if we just made it easier, I think that um, the numbers will continue to, to, to tick up. But, of course, the other side doesn't want that because their only way to win is by cheating with voter suppression and voter fraud. But that's just, you know. That's just the fact. That's another conversation in itself. But <laughs> yeah. I will tell you, you know, um, we we will really be talking and promoting, you know, voters to vote early. Um, if you cannot wait till Election Day, you have 11 days to do so, which includes a Saturday and Sunday. And I've always believed personally that it would be nice to get some legislation passed in the state of Texas to make Election Day a national holiday. I mean, think about all the other days that we have as holidays. I think your most sacred right to vote and be a part of the political process would be pretty awesome uh, for us to make Election Day um, a, a holiday. <laughs> Tanisha, we're going to we're going to leave it right there. And we thank you for your time today and thank you for the job you do as chief De- deputy office of Diane Trotman, uh, Harris County clerk. We look forward to our continued partnership with you and and disseminating this great information about voting, voters rights and where we can go cast our vote. And we appreciate you being on the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. We appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And we'll be back right after this. From your local Houston BMW Center Studios.
Welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I am your co-host, KG Smooth, joined by Uncle Fun Killary Jones. And, and it's a great day in the city, sir. It is, man. And um, it's 2020. Correct. Which means the start of a new decade. Yep. And? And normally when that happens, that means it is time to count the people in this country. And the Census Bureau is, um, in effect, April 1st starts uh, the census. And we have here someone who I haven't seen in such a long time. Yes, yeah, since I've, you know. <laughs> since, she's, uh, since she well, was with child. Ah, okay. <laughs> she is the well, partnership coordinator for the 2020 Census Dallas Regional Census Center Field Division, Denver Region, and the U.S. Census Bureau, the lovely, mm-hmm. vivacious Rebecca M. Briscoe. Well, thank you very much. I feel back. I feel at home. Yes. So well, thank you for inviting me to 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 give some messaging today. Well, you are at home. And uh, this census is very important this year, this for this decade, because <laughs> these things and the people that get counted will um, affect how we live and, 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 and what is distributed to said neighborhoods and communities for the next 10 years. Absolutely. And so when we think of the census, I want everyone to know that this has been mandated in the Constitution since 1790 to count everyone, mm. to count every human being in America. Mm-hmm. And it is also utilized for apportionment. Just like I saw people on CNN waiting six hours to vote Mm -hmm. at Texas Southern University. Yes. I hope to see the same thing going on for this census because that is where we can determine how many congressional seats we have. Mm -hmm. And in 2010, the results were three additional congressional seats. That's it? Yes, in Texas. In Texas. That's huge. So, you know. Yeah, that's (laughs) great because some states lost. Mm, okay. Based on their population okay. fluctuation. And so also uh, another thing is how these funds are allocated to mm-hmm. local services on the ground, which is very important. And we know the billions, but I want to make it relative. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I can think of is disaster recovery. Mm-hmm. In 2010, we couldn't find people. But guess what way people were found by our census data? Wow. During emergency situations and people can't find or locate that housing unit, they're going to mobilize immediately and use our ACS data to find people. Mm. Another thing was, remember when people were getting that disaster recovery snap? Mm -hmm. That came from census data on how many people could be allocated those emergency funds. Also, um, the Pell Grant. How is the Pell Grant going to be determined by how many people are counted in that census tract? Yeah. So that's why we're we're just so adamant about getting our higher ed students actively engaged because if they're counted, that's more resources to come. So Rebecca, let me ask. This is a huge department, correct? Yes, it is. <laughs> are, yes, sir. Are, are you hiring? We, we are hiring, absolutely. We're building our um, applicant pool. Okay. Um, our last day for recruiting efforts is going to be on March the 15th. Um, a lot of people that I've heard have been getting called now. Good. The ones who did apply um, in the fall and even a few weeks ago, they are getting called now so that they can go to training. And in Harris County alone, the pay rate for our field staff 
is up to twenty four fifty an hour. Mm-hmm. You get paid weekly. And if you are receiving any benefits, such as TANF or SNAP, the state of Texas will allow that waiver for you to continue to work and not jeopardize those benefits. So someone on the podcast right now is losing their mind. What is the website? Okay. How do I find <laughs> you? I need to work. I need to do something during the day before the quiet storm at night. It is www.2020census.gov slash jobs. Okay. So I'm, I'm a little old school with this so help me are we still when i get when, when i being a, a a representative for the census i'll get my packet will i go door to door and knock to see if you'll do we do that or is it in the mail or it's online well right now 2020 has brought forth a lot of innovation and change so yeah. this will be the first year that we're going online Yes. So that website will be 2020census.gov, cool. where we have several ways to self-respond. Of course, we're hoping online is going to be number one, mm-hmm. um, telephone in up to 13 different languages and so forth. Um, we also have the traditional snail mail where they're going to present that to you. But if you don't, after um, about six drop-offs, that is when you're going to have someone to physically come knock on your door. And so that is why we're hoping with our partners, with our communication efforts, that people will self-respond first. And we know when people are in the privacy of their home and they are completing either a form online or on the phone, they're more privy to give accurate information instead of someone knocking on the door and say, well, how many people in the residence? They, they may be a little bit more apprehensive mm-hmm. with sharing that information because, you know, KG and Rebecca, again, what are some of the misnomers? What's the confusion? Why are people afraid to fill out this form? Very good question. I mean, just a lot of people have a mistrust of government. Mm-hmm. And that could be, you know, from experiences. It could be from some historical instances. Um, one of the things that I can think of in the African-American community is um, we raise kids. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Grandmother raises. Yes, ma'am children, neighbors, and all of that stuff. And we may be receiving vouchers. And so one of the things on the vouchers is you have to say how many people are living in the home. And so when they think of, oh, my goodness, the census is coming, and I've told, you know, my apartment manager that I have X, Y, Z, am I going to lose my housing? And you won't because that information is for statistical information only and everyone who comes to knock on your door they have taken a lifetime oath to protect that information not to share that information because if they do the orange will be the new black for them all right Mm. (laughs) okay and up to a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine and so what happens when you complete the form on paper Mm. or online or the phone it is just going to be compiled statistically on how many people are in the housing unit. So we want people to know that, give that accurate information. So if Grandmama Reba has 20 kids in that home, <laughs> please say that they have 20 plus kids in that home because mm-hmm. we may need to put a stoplight there. Right. We may need to put a stop sign there. And see, that's the twist. A lot of people, KG, don't understand that with the accurate information, you get the services that your neighborhood needs. And you're complaining about people flying up and down your street. But if you don't do this part of the process, we don't know where to put that stop sign or a speed bump. 
mm-hmm. or any other of uh, the services that this is all about. So, mm-hmm. folks, this is really, really, really important. And KG and I on this podcast are going to help educate a lot of people uh, about taking and doing their due diligence. And I really want to push. I want to push the online effort. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and fill it out online, especially to um, the Hispanic community, our Latinos. I know that you are very, very apprehensive of filling out this census form with all of the talk of, will I be deported? Is is ICE going to show up at the door just to be safe? Do it online. And then that way, if someone does come knocking on your door saying that they are the Census Bureau, you can say, I already filled that out. This, you are not the census, and I will not open the door. Also, Rebecca, I saw on the news a couple of weeks ago that there is a fraudulent um, form that is going around that has been put out by the RNC. I am aware of that form. And one of the things that lets you know it is not a part of the Census Bureau is because it asks for donations and your Social Security number. Correct. One of the things when it comes from the U.S. Census Bureau, it will not ask for funding. It will not ask for your Social Security number. So that that, that should throw up a red flag. And I'm hoping that um, after this interview that maybe we could share some FAQs. Mm-hmm. Um, with you all that y'all may want to share digitally mm-hmm. on how do you know this is accurate? What is the form going to look like? What is a census taker going to look like? Right. You yeah. know, w- sure. what is their badge going to look like? You know, what are they going to drive? Those are things that people need to know, whether they're in our aging population or immigrant communities as well. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to share, um, KG, if I could, sure. that the Census Bureau is a statistical agency. So that HEB that is in Third Ward right now, they have done multiple studies based on our census data on why they put it there. So we handle data. We are not law enforcement. So we want to educate you all to let you know we don't carry a badge. We are just tasked to get the survey to compile the data to forecast. So we do not communicate with law enforcement agencies such as DHS, FBI, or even HPD. Mm -hmm. We do not. We are just tasked to capture the data. So if we could educate um, our communities on that, we are a data-capturing agency. Misconceptions, Katie. That is so interesting that you (laughs) mentioned the HEB in Third Ward. Yeah. And and that they did that because, from what I understand, from the, (laughs) the people who live in Third Ward, this is the first grocery store in 30 years. It is. It in is. 30 years. It is. It is. That is, I could not, my mind just could not process so that. So people yes. are moving back to the tray. Yes, they we are. took another census, and here you have a full-service grocery store in the heart of Third Ward, yeah, Texas. Absolutely. Isn't that amazing, KG? It's mm-hmm. just yeah. by filling out the census. Just by filling that out. And they... Utilize our data. Um, why are certain McDonald's here? Why are certain a Foot Locker here and an athlete's foot is somewhere else? Based on census data, can those residents afford those shoes? Wow. I, you know, I got to be honest. <laughs> yeah. If, if this is the honest Yeah, yeah I, I can come teach a lesson on this. I can come teach a lesson on that. That's I was not privy to all. I didn't know that the census was this important, that it really determined everything for your city, your neighborhood, yeah. for your community. So 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 the radio station, y'all send out sheets that says what is the demographics, what is the income. 
That comes from ACS data. That comes mm. from census surveys that are done monthly. And so it evaluates that information based on census tracts, income attainment, who's in poverty, languages, and all of that stuff, so that y'all can do a better job. Absolutely. So, guys, you have nothing to fear. Right. We, we just gather information to help your neighborhoods be a, a better shining star. So when is Census Day, or is there such a thing? Census Day is going to be Wednesday, April 1st, 2020. Okay. All right. But since we're so excited about self-response, I want to let your listeners know that starting the week of March 12th, they will be getting a card in the mail. That card is also going to have a barcode where they can, you know, fill out the form. And if they don't have the barcode, they can still go on the website and plug and play their address. And so another thing that I want to let people know is when you get that card, it's not going to say John Brown address. It's going to say to the resident of 123 Main Street because what? They just want to get the housing residence. Mm -hmm. That's it. So it is not going to be attention to a name. So if you start, if your readers are saying, well, I got something that said census, but it said John Brown. Oh, that's not us because it's not going to say your name. It's going to say to the resident because it's a housing unit only. KG, mm. can we go back to that that sheet that's out and, and reinforce yeah. that for folk who might get it and don't know? That's why we're together, bro. Yes, absolutely. Um, I was really I was really taken aback that the Republican National Committee would take such steps to confuse and trick the American public for this census count. And I, and I started to think like, well, what is the motive here to A, create this form, B, mail it out, C, to ask for donations and then your social security number? Rebecca, do you know what they want to do with this? I can't tell you because I don't work for them. I work for the U.S. government. But what I can tell you is that when our information comes to you, please fill it out. There have been so many communities that I've worked with that were invisible in 2010, like the sick community mm -hmm. that's hidden in certain pockets, mm -hmm. um, certain um, Indo-Asian communities, even a lot of Caribbean communities were, were, were invisible in 2010, that through our outreach efforts, we have really been able to, to captivate them. And they need to be counted. You know what I'm saying? There's so many other immigrant communities that people don't know of. Why? Because it wasn't tracked in the data. And so my goal is to ensure that everyone in Houston is counted. Anybody who knows me, I'm not sleeping until this city becomes the third largest city. Amen. And when, when it does become the third largest city, that means, hey, we can bid for an Olympics. Yeah. We're in a different tax bracket. That's been the goal. Yeah. You know, we can bid for certain things because we are large. We can get more international destinations coming yes, into the city. Yes, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Based on census data, it's very, very important. Very so important. The, um, the the information for the jobs and is, is, is it all under one umbrella? There's several different there, websites. It, it is under one umbrella. Ooh. Absolutely. So if you go on the 2020census.gov website, you can click on a link that says jobs. And if you're excited about being a partner of ours, on the left-hand side, you can click on the link that says partners. And we already have documents that you can copy and paste, upload on social media, um, 
pre-evaluated scripts that you could use for PSAs. Everything is just at your disposal. And up to $24 an hour? Uh, I'll, let me. Plus mileage and weekly pay, and we've signed a waiver, so if you are receiving any benefits, you still can work and be paid. Talk wow. about a side hustle. I mean, I talk about a side hustle. Yeah, yeah. Gonna go yeah to, I know uh, several teachers that are doing this. census.gov after this interview here. <laughs> Rebecca, what else should the people look out for? I know we got the fraud with the RNC thing. I know we've got the our, our Latino family community, or uh, all of the immigrants from around the world who are afraid because of this administration and their um, that that whole ban them trying to get folks out of here um what should they possibly look out for to kind of take the the anxiety of ice coming to their door i want them to know that we are really out in this community um my team alone is over 30 partnership specialists who resemble the united nations Mm -hmm. because how can you capture an audience Mm -hmm. who is scared and afraid you bring somebody that looks, looks like, like them. them. That's right. You bring someone that can communicate like them. So, and when we speak about the Latino community, I also want to speak about the Muslim and the Arabic community. Come on. Since the Patriot Act, a lot of Muslims have been hidden and in fear since 9-11. So one of the things that I wanted to do, and, and the Arabic language is the fifth largest language spoken in Houston. I hired someone who's part of that community. I hired someone that can go in that community and go into those mosques. I can't go into those mosques, Mm -hmm. but he can. Mm -hmm. He can speak to that community. He can get them charged up, and he has. He has done an amazing job doing so. And so that has been my strategic approach as well. Also, as we are going into operations, we need to get excited. Mm -hmm. We need to get fired up. So how are we doing? We are communicating with partners and doing events, a mobile questionnaire, assistance centers where people can say, hey, I don't know how to fill out this form. And we're going to be there with, you know, um, pads and, and, and handhelds, assisting people and getting that field out on the spot. So we like to tag along, piggyback with certain events that we know service those communities, service our hard-to-count communities, and let us come set up like a little pop-up mm-hmm. and get people counted. That's all we want to do. And I hope that our our messaging is going out in those communities because I have to give a hand clap to Radio 1 and TV 1 because I'm telling you, they have really been promoting the census. I love the ads. I love the social media. I love the the recruiting ads. It is amazing. So I just want to say thank you all for being a trusted voice. Mm-hmm. Thank you. A leading voice in getting this message because we can't do this alone. This is a federal mandate, yes, but can it be done alone? No. It is going to take everyone to help with this effort. Mm -hmm. KG, I think she had us when she says we're not a law enforcement agency. Right. No. We just collect. We just collect data. Data. We just data collectors. (laughs) That's all we are. Rebecca Briscoe, this has been a a pleasure and enlightenment. Okay. just getting the audience in tune that they have nothing to fear right. and filling out these forms can it's, add tons of money yes, it's going to, help to your neighborhood. We're helping yeah. you. So yeah. thank Absolutely. you for your time. Absolutely. And yeah. if I could just add one mm-hmm. more thing, if you don't fill out your form, just imagining an area where the population is 2,500 
and only 500 people are counted. For the next 10 years, the funding is going to be just for 500 people who are counted. So when you're having problems with your renter's assistance mm-hmm. and your light bill, they're going to look at your census track and say, oh, it's only 500 that applied. So guess what? Mm-hmm. We're just going to distribute funds for 500 people. And Listen, so fill out this form yeah. because <laughs> the, to Rebecca's point, to the example that she just gave, they're going to give that money instead of to your community, your neighborhood. They're going to give it to the rich folks. So think about it like that. Instead of where you live, you know, be, if you are lower income and you know that the neighborhood is jacked up, you got potholes, there needs to be a stop sign right here. Fill out the census form because if you don't, they're going to take that money that could have been for your neighborhood to somewhere in River Oaks or up in the woodland somewhere. So fill out the form. Census Day is April the 1st. You can log on to the website, 2020census.gov. That's to fill out and uh, to get the job. Um, and Rebecca, thank you for coming on. It's so good to see you. I know, I know. I know. I've, been, I've been in hibernation. <laughs> well, welcome back. The bear has awakened, and she is trying to get every person in Houston County so we can become the third largest city in this nation. And Thank you so much. Is excited. That wraps up the Public Affairs Podcast. KG and I are addressing local issues that obviously affect our nation and shape our world. God bless, and we'll see you next time.